Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome. Uh, today's uh, Monday, Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. And uh, we're here in New York City, Tribeca, the home of uh, the new home of Police Off the Cuff. My name is Mark DeMeo, my partner, sitting uh, two seats away, Bill <laughs> Cannon. And our guest today, uh, is, so far, Bill, we've covered uh, police officers every rank. We've had prosecutors. <laughs> well, Dave's, no, we Dave's like a chief, but in a different field. <laughs> yeah, well, he, well, we'll get to that in a second. We've covered uh, how many how many cops? We have great cops. We have we oh, have tons prosecutors. We've had um, a, a, what are, experts, Hall of Fame ex, detectives, ex, you know. experts in their fields. We had uh, uh, the medical uh, Barbara Butcher, chief medical examiner or uh, director of chief uh, the medical uh, examiner's office in New York City. We've had them all, and the funny thing is, is like we're going to come full circle today because our guest, uh, if you're a member of the NYPD or have been for the last thirty years. There's a 99.9% chance <laughs> that you had a beer at Coogan's. That's right. Which is located in Washington Heights on Broadway. What is it? 169? 169. 169. Let's, uh, folks, Dave Hunt. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. It'll be fun. You know what's amazing, uh, Mark? I knew Dave back uh, in the, when he worked as a bartender in the village at a place called Jimmy Day's. Before uh -huh. you were a policeman. Yeah, before yeah. I was a cop, because my brother lived down in the village. Uh -huh. And Jimmy Day's was like an amazing bar, too, right? My brother used to say, all the bartenders are shit-faced. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true, Dave? Well, I'll tell you, when I stopped work, Jimmy Day used to buy Cuddy Sark uh, in multiple cases, and uh, that was what I drank. And uh, when I stopped, you were supporting uh, the Kennedys. There, when I stopped working there, uh, he wound up with all this uh, leftover Cuddy Sark because it wasn't selling. <laughs> <laughs> but I've often said that uh, I had an uh, one way the Queen's uh, Task Force Captain Seward. He used to drink Cuddy Sark. I remember that. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. I don't drink anymore, but I liked it then. Uh, I often say that uh, uh, that was the best job I've ever had in my life, including owning my own business. Wow. That was, that was Why was Jimmy Day so great? Well, it was just a magical location in a magical part of town. Uh, Tell our audience where Jimmy Day's was. Right in the heart of Greenwich Village, right off Sheridan Square. Uh, we had prominent, prominent regular customers who uh, were well-known in uh, uh, show business and... Uh, uh, they were in there. It was a regular, regular bar. Nobody got treated uh, any uh, differently than anybody else. And uh, I, I love telling the story that uh, I always worked Saturday nights, so I never saw Saturday Night Live. And we used to <laughs> deal with the cast of Saturday Night Live yeah. all the time. So my wife and I are at a wedding, and we're back in the hotel, and Saturday Night Live comes on, and I said to my wife, I said, see this guy? pretending to be one of the Rolling Stones? I said, he's a regular customer. To me. It was Ron Woods. I had, I had served him a million times, never knew who he was. Uh -huh. wow. Oh, wow, that's great. That is a magical part of town, the, uh, the, the West Village oh, there. Great. 
in those days you could still afford to uh, find something somewhat reasonable in that area. That mm-hmm. is impossible now. I remember one night uh, being in the city, and uh, I said, oh, I'm going to stop, park the car, walk around, and it was dead. 1 o'clock, 1.30, mm-hmm. we were going strong at that time. And I called a friend of mine who had worked with me in uh, Jimmy Days, and I said, Adrian, I said, well, where are all the people? He says, David, anybody who can afford the prices in Greenwich Village now can't afford to be out at 1 o'clock at night. <laughs> so she was right. They all sort of had more formalized jobs than... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah, it definitely dad. went through a transition. Uh, most of the crowd, the people that you see walking around in the street down there now are are there to go drinking or to, you know, for entertainment. There's a lot of stuff to do down there. You got the Blue Note, you got all, uh, co- the Comedy Cellar, the, uh, other various comedy clubs down there, um, Cafe Wa, yes. all those little yeah. restaurants. I went to the Cafe Wa when I was in high school. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah. Unbelievable. I think they shot Miss Maisel in there. I think that's where they shot one of the scenes. Which I happen to come. love. I love that show. You know, I couldn't yeah. believe I walked down Bleecker Street about six months ago and Matt Humanoff Guitars is gone. I know. I, I, was, I felt bad, man. Mm-hmm. I was really felt like that was a mainstay. That was there for over 50 years, I think. I right? think the record store in Bleecker is gone now, too. Bleecker Bob's? Yeah, Bleecker right. Bob's. That's, that's yeah. gone, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that happens in New York City like that, mainstays that wind up disappearing lately. And you know what? It's funny that you mentioned it. I mean, uh, let's not jump into that right away because okay. we'll come back to that. But um, give us a little history. Where are you from originally? I'm born and raised in Manhattan in the Inwood section just north of Washington Heights. All righty. Um, Is that sort of pushing against the Bronx there? You know, I got to tell you, we were very sensitive to that uh-huh. <laughs> growing up. We were Manhattan. We were not the Bronx. Oh, but I, okay. I would say socioeconomically, it was very close to the, the uh, Bronx. Bronx. And uh, what are you up there by the cloisters, right? North of the cloisters. North, north of the cloisters. Of the That's cloisters. a nice little. Um, you get your girlfriend. You take a walk through there, right? Very, very nice memories of uh, that. That's, park a, that's there. a nice uh, little yeah. stroll that you can take there through the cloisters. It's very romantic. I can't believe, Dave, that, that you took a few blocks and you're in the Bronx, right? No, you got to do it. <laughs> he this guy's me. pushing it. This guy's He's pushing it. He's busting So remember, Manhattan is an island. That's so if you're on that island. <laughs> You're in Manhattan. But so, it did give us a, a great connection to uh, downtown New York. It wasn't like we felt we were going into another area completely. Dimension. Which the irony is, you know, when you live up there in the Heights, because I have family up there in the Heights, I kind of sort of split my youth between Astoria and Washington Heights. Um, you're not afraid to jump on a train and get downtown, but yet you go down a few couple of stops lower, and once you get into Harlem and, and the, the, the big number of streets in Harlem, a lot of those people, they tend to stay within a four-block radius. They never go downtown. Yep. They ne- you'll, they'll never see. I think they go to Times Square once a year for that uh, when they go the, the mugging day on Easter. It's that, you know how everybody <laughs> celebrates Easter? Yeah. And you go to church and you spend it with your family. You go look for Easter eggs and stuff. <laughs> they come down from all over, all the gangs, and they just rob everybody who happens to be in Times that's Square. The, that's the Manhattan makes <laughs> it, Brooklyn takes it crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, 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 right, our, yeah. that's Easter in Manhattan. Right I worked Times I worked Square. at Times Square in Easter when I was in street crime it was out of control mm-hmm. but that neighborhood was very different when you were growing up there there was uh there was hispanics i would imagine the dominicans were starting to come in but not not in, not in my day the first hispanics that came into inwood would be 1958 after uh uh the cuban revolution 
Oh, okay. So we had an influx of Cubans coming in. Uh, so let me ask you a question since we're on this. Were you in the Sharks or the Jets? <laughs> <laughs> when you're a Jet, you're, you're a, a Jet, jet all, all the way. way. <laughs> your first cigarette to there your There was no formalized uh, uh, gangs in Inwood when I was growing There were sort of like uh, block gangs. You know, you hung out on the block that you grew up in, but uh, nothing, nothing organized. It's a big sports area, too. The, the, those neighborhoods, a lot of teams, basketball, uh, baseball, softball in the park too Inwood was a very big basketball uh, community you played hoops right I played basketball uh, not uh, on on any level that I heard you rejected Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's shot the (laughs) skyhook when I played against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that was in CYO ball we were probably uh, 10, 11, 12 years he was Lou Alcinda then he was Lou Alcinda yes his dad was a lieutenant on the NYPD Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that. I remember hearing that. Yeah, that's interesting. Inwood was very parochial in the sense that uh, uh, it was divided sort of parish-wise, and the youth groups were very, very uh, uh, connected to those parishes. So uh, Lou was, uh, later to become Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, was with St. Jude, which was the neighboring parish to the parish that I grew up in, uh, Good Shepherd. Wow. And we went to St. Jude's Day Camp together. That's where we... Mostly played basketball. Does he ever come by Coogan's to this day? Or no? he, has, he has not stopped in. He'd be very, very welcome. So he's to not supporting the old neighborhood. <laughs> well, I don't know if he knows uh, that there's any connection uh, on oh, 169th okay. Street to Inwood, but uh, he'd be very welcome if he came in. Wow. So that's where you, you grew up in Inwood. Uh, you were playing your sports up there. Um, and then what, what, how, what was next? What did you do with yourself? You, which high school did you go to? What, high school? Yeah. I went to Fordham Prep in the Bronx. All right, and then to Fordham it. College, both at uh, the Rose Hill campus and at Lincoln Center. Um, so you're a good student. That's a good college at Fordham. Well, I wasn't that good of a student because uh, <laughs> when I was at Fordham at Lincoln Center, I answered a, an ad on the student placement office. I don't even know if they have them anymore. Yeah, I think they do. But, what is uh, that? Uh, if you were looking for a part-time job, you know, oh, okay. people, uh, agencies or uh, institutions would call up a university and say, listen, we can uh, use 20 hours a week. Do you have a student who can do mm-hmm. it? So uh, at the time, the minimum wage in New York was a dollar twenty-five, and there was, if you were working in uh, uh, part-time as a college student, that's where you got minimum wage. And right. if you were very, very good, six months later they'd give you an extra ten or fifteen cents an hour. So on the board was an advertisement for uh, a waiter's job in Greenwich Village, paying two dollars and fifty cents an hour. I said, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So that was a place on Seventh Avenue and Tenth Street called Your Father's Mustache which was a big... Oh, wow. uh, That's uh, a great name for a restaurant. It, well, it wasn't really a restaurant. It was a banjo nightclub. You can't even... You're too young uh-huh. to even imagine what that uh-huh. would be. But uh, uh, that was my first taste of the bar. And, uh, How old were you? Uh, I started when I was 20. All right. Yeah. Wasn't your, your mom was sort of peripherally in the restaurant business, though, too, right? No, my father was the plumber for Schraff's Restaurants, oh, that's which I was read a chain of uh, yeah. uh, restaurants... Uh, all over the United States, but mostly on the East Coast. Uh, my mother actually ran the concession shop at the top of the rock at 30 Rockefeller. Wow. Yeah. So uh, if you can imagine be going on a school tour, mm-hmm. you had to buy a pencil, you had to buy this, right? That's, that's what she did. You, you know, never, the funny thing is... No more of being a plumber, though, right? <laughs> you know, you, no. you have a kind of sort of look about you. Like, if I... If we were running around looking for a place to drink, my friends and I, and I opened the door and I saw you behind the bar, I'd be like, 
This is it. This well, is I the take, place. Come on. We got that. the place right here. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> it is. It's like the beefsteak Charlie. You make, you make me what we... Why are we... We're not having Out of all the days that we should have had drinks, today was one of them. Well, you I haven't had a drink them. in 35 years. Oh, really? Wow. Well, I told you I quit last night, so... <laughs> yeah. So we're in the same yeah. Yeah, group. Yeah, well, the day to time, man. <laughs> really. Do you have some of those dry drunk tendencies? I never knew what that expression meant. I never knew. I've I heard never tried drunk. I used to have to work for one. That's when you have the same attitude of hanging, of having a hangover, but you don't drink. Yeah. No, I got it. I didn't have hangovers when I drank. Oh, okay. I very, very seldom had hangovers, which was not to my benefit. To tell right, you right, right, right. For thirty-five years, but I'm, you, you look like the guy that I want. Sir. Like you just, I know this is going to be a good place. I, I know, know where the, this know. is going to go. I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> I know I'm going to get a good drink, an honest drink. Do you know what I'm saying? I like it so far. No, it's, uh, there's nothing bad coming out of it. You just, it I should have had a punchline for it, but I was just being honest, actually, right there. I just, that's like the face you want to see when you go into a nice, an Irish bar. It's because, okay, so... Well, I think internationally, uh, Irish pubs and restaurants, bars... Uh, are known for hospitality. I think mm -hmm. that's. Uh, I, I think it transcends oh, all ethnic yeah. groups. All, uh, in fact, uh, uh, coming up uh, on uh, uh, Aquafina's show, Nora from Queens, they filmed part of it in uh, Coogan's. Right. The fact that you know her name, Aquafina, I'm and you knew cool. her before that. Before. I'm very cool. I'm very hip. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, she was lovely, by the way. She was uh, uh, very, very nice. But. Uh, they filmed in Coogan's, okay. but when you see it on the show, they're going to present it as O'Shea's in China. Wow. So we, even China has Irish pubs. Oh, that's this. great. That's great. Dave, you know what I want to ask you? As you know, I, I attended bar for a bunch of years, too. People don't understand, really, it's not, being a bartender is not just mixing drinks and doing all of the uh, grunt work. There's a lot to tending bar, right? A lot about reading people. Well, friendly to people. Tell us a little bit about that since you have a career, a, like a 10-year career being a bartender before you became a proprietor of a restaurant, right? Well, no doubt about it that uh, the, the bartender's main job, you, you're not going to have one drink better than another drink, basically. Uh, you know, unless... I, I know they're doing these craft cocktails now with uh, you growing your own lavender and you mull it up. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have 20, no... It, 20 minutes to make one yeah, of those drinks. I have no interest in... Being that kind of bartender, I have no interest in owning a place like that. It, it's just not on my cards. But what a bartender has to do is make you feel comfortable in that space. Right. That's what a bartender mm -hmm. has to do. That's what I was trying to get at. And, you know, in New York City, there's so many bars that are, like you said, trendy. And don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking those mixologist guys. You know, if that's what you're into and, and they do a good job. But for me, it's just like, dude, you could just pour it in my mouth. Come on. <laughs> You know, at least and they the first, do, I heard, yeah, the first, No, no, I'm saying that I want to go to a bar where, the, the, screw the guy, dude, I need the first one, just pour it right in here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, that's the type of bar I like to go to. And me and my friends, that those are the bars we like to go to. We like to go to, a, like, uh, a place where we're going to get a good drink and we're gonna, the bartender's going to look like you. And uh, <laughs> it's not going to be no mixologist. I'm not paying $25 for, for you exactly to put a right. piece of celery in there. Exactly I don't need right. celery in my Organic drink. Organic celery. Yeah, I don't need it in my drink. There's an egg yolk. I'm looking at the freaking menu of uh, of one of these places, and every drink has a, a egg in it. I'm like, who, why would you put an egg in a, in a, in bourbon? Well, I come from a background where uh, if you didn't drink it uh, whiskey straight or on the rocks, you mixed it with something very simple, water, soda, mm -hmm. yeah. whatever. Uh, 
And uh, maybe before dinner, you had a martini, you had a Manhattan, uh, you had an old-fashioned, something to uh, whet the appetite, get the appetite going. But the fact that they're, you know, putting uh, uh, fresh lavender in and grinding it up and, you know, infusing it and... A garden in your Bloody Mary, you know? It's not for me. (laughs) The craziest I ever go, and I I had one just because it looked interesting uh, a couple weeks back. The mule thing, what is that? Well, actually, we serve mules at Coogan's. What's uh, it called again? Manhattan, I mean, what's it called? Well, we have, there's a whole bunch of different Moscow things. mule. Moscow mule. And, yeah, I had that. Uh, and then, you know what's cool about that cup? Is it, cup. It, it keeps it cold. Yes. I like a cold drink. So that copper keeps the, the drink cold. Did you steal yours? No, no, I didn't steal <laughs> <laughs> I've stolen many a glass from. Uh, but it's not even that I want to steal it. I'll bring it back next time. You just i got to get this drink to my car. And uh, I, can't, I can't pour it in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what, Dave, when you uh, became or, or, or looking into becoming, say, an owner, what kind, did you take a huge chance uh, buying into Coogan's? No, I took no chance. I'll tell you what happened. 1987, I'm still working in Jimmy Days in the Village. Okay. And the person who founded Jimmy Days, Sean Cannon, that's my last name. Yes, uh-huh. but not no relation. I want some of that money. <laughs> uh, his wife worked with me in Jimmy Days, and she, uh, after Coogan's was open for about 18 months, she said, listen, Sean is really looking for a manager. I recommended you. You'd be a good person to do it, so I'll go up and speak to Sean. So Sean h- hired me in 1987 as the manager, and uh, we did that for uh, 18 months until Sean had a falling out with his partners. Those were the original people that put Coogan's together. And uh, they kind of pushed Sean to the side and me also. So at that point, I went out. That's when I worked at Pete's Tavern uh, in between. And uh, in 1988 and 1989, uh, Peter Walsh and I got together. And it took us a while to put the money together to make the deal. But the people who had pushed Sean out kind of got themselves in financial difficulty and it wasn't working for them. Um, so they were all kind of amicably. Um, they sold their interest to us. So we went back in in 19... So you were sort of in the right place at the right time. I knew, the right all, I knew all the... I knew I had done all the, uh, the managing, so I knew what the uh, situation was. And um, Sean's partners uh, had a, uh, a different concept from me about how the business should be run. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, you weren't nervous we about the neighborhood in 1987. Uh, Washington Heights was rocking back then, right? It was. It was. Tell rocking. us a little bit okay, about so, the neighborhood, so okay, we get so, an, uh, those are our fans who are not from New York City can get an idea of the neighborhood. So this was not because this was strategically planned out, but what we did not know in opening Coogan's was that as police department shifts got off. Coogan's was a very central location uh, to to come. You got you, you you got off your job. You uh, went there, and then at the end of uh, having uh, uh, a little uh, you know night convening at the bar, uh, people would go up to Rockland County, shoot out to Queens. Mm-hmm. It, it was a very centrally located uh, thing. And in those days, there was a big safety zone out in front, big triangular safety zone out in front of Coogan's, and Apparently, some off-duty police thought that they could park there without consequence, and I think that might have been true. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that might have been true. And, and not to mention that you had beautiful Dominican women coming in there going, you're probably... There is no <laughs> doubt about the attractiveness of beautiful du- Dominican That's women bringing sure. in uh, 
Well, you mentioned the um, the centralization of it, uh, the, the area there, and that um, you know it was a good place where cops could come either or grab a, a quick drink before work or after work or during work. <laughs> it's like PJ Reynolds used to have that paper cup that they would give beers to go. Like, I know nothing. That? I know you know nothing, nothing about that. I know that. nothing. <laughs> he swore to secrecy in the bartender's union. So, so Coogan's is in Washington Heights. We mentioned this earlier. It's on Broadway and 169th Street. Right across the street from Coogan's is Columbia Pre- Presbyterian Hospital. Yes. Which is a huge hospital, okay? So you have the, the I'm sure you have doctors coming in there and nurses and uh, people who just got shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, they go to the, the people visiting the people. <laughs> no, after after they, they released <laughs> and they made they it, like, like this place. <laughs> man, I could use a drink right now. <laughs> the uh, doctor said you're not supposed to be drinking. I man. have to tell you, we have had many, many people come in. With that little plastic bag, you know, my uh-huh. belongings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the wrist tag on there. Yeah, yeah. The first scary. stop. And you know, you, you, They're waiting for their ride home. I'll, I'll wait for you in Coogan's. Well, <laughs> that is certainly welcome. I mean, we can't project on what their life story is, but uh, we do keep an eye on that. So, if so your you, belongings are in a little plastic bag and you have that wrist tag uh, on you, we keep an eye on you. Dave, you know something? <laughs> Coogan's would blow away the whole premise of Cheers on TV because Coogan's... Has, has the UN come into... To, I have to you tell you, I mean? the nicest compliment that people continually give us, and they've been giving it to us for years, is that Coogan's reminds them of a, a real cheers. Yeah. That's yeah. the nicest, that's yeah. The nicest yeah. compliment. Yeah. And, but it, it works. There's black people here. There's Dominicans here. There's white people over here. There's tourists here. And it works. Yeah. One, it works. one of the newspaper articles that was um, uh, written about us uh, many, many years ago, and uh, I highlight the word successfully... Uh, called Coogan's the most successfully integrated restaurant bar in the United States. Absolutely! Wow! Absolutely! That's we don't have we don't, we don't we have almost no no trouble there, almost no trouble. Well, but that six foot eight inch bouncy you have has nothing to do with it. Well, well, talk about that the, doesn't help other places. <laughs> talk about the centralization of it. You got the hospital right across the street there, and then you have all the cops that came in there. And I mentioned the, uh, before one of the first things I mentioned was. That there's a 99. If you're a New York City cop, on the job now, maybe not so much, but retired or in the middle of your your um, your time on the job there, there's a 99 percent chance you've stepped foot and had a beer at Coogan's. There's always I would, I would a racket so. going on there. If you work in the Bronx, Manhattan, or Queens, you could be going there just for a drink after work. Um, something will bring you there. Something, some, uh, e- either it's a, a good thing or, uh, God forbid, a tragedy after a funeral or whatever, but there's, something's going to bring you to Coogan's and you're going to have a beer there. And it's remarkable because there's over 30,000 cops. Well, it goes back to that Irish hospitality. Yeah. Well, you uh, just brought up something, uh, uh, Mark, that I just wanted, popped into my head. So we had, back in the bad days, we had a cop shot protocol. We knew immediately, it's a Tuesday afternoon, or blah, blah, boom, the sirens, everything like that. We get the word that there's a cop been shot. We knew we had to bring in extra cooks. We, need, we needed new staff, mm-hmm. right? So we had to go into a whole sort of mobilization because we'd have wow. hundreds of people coming up. That's they want to see if they gave bl- needed to give blood. The union would take wow. over a, a big section of the uh, mm. restaurant. The news people, because in those days, uh, the news crews their equipment would be stolen on the street if it wasn't uh, 
Monica. Yeah. So after they did their live shot out from uh, uh, the emergency room, they would come in and they would hunker down. We'd have CBS over here, ABC <laughs> over here, right? Uh, 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 it's so interesting. So there is nobody who works for us now who would have any idea what to do if I went right, into right. a cop has been shot. They wouldn't right. know what to do. Right, right. That's incredible. It's incredible that I mean I can think of also I I don't want to jump ahead too much, all the political deals, the politicians that have come into Coogan's, the celebrities, and it's an amazing because people feel comfortable going in there. Well, Denny Farrell used to, who was the uh, our assemblyman, chairman of the New York State Ways and Means Committee, and also the chairman of the New York State Democratic Party, uh, would have his own table in the restaurant, and one of his duties was to uh, interview judges, right? So if you got the Democratic nomination to be a judge in New York, that was that was it, because there is no Republican uh, uh, presence in New York. Really? So uh, then he used to have it right at a table, and as he used to tell me, he says, if the New York Times wants to come and sit at the table next to me and listen in, let them. Wow. Wow. So that was... Um, you even Denny have a picture of John F. Kennedy on the wall at Coogan's, don't you? Yes, Yes, I, think I asked you about that once when I, I was think, still on the job. I said, well, I think what, what every Irish American <laughs> bar in the United States should have a picture of John F. Kennedy. You know, you see that a lot. You go into apartments in Harlem, a lot of black people have a picture of John F. Kennedy. It's true, on, on the wall. You see that a lot, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, I think I want, I think John F. Kennedy, uh, maybe it was LBJ who, who actually finalized the Civil Rights uh, Bill in 1964, but I, mean, I think it was the Kennedy administration that was the first presidential concern for providing civil rights for all our citizens. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's funny because today's Martin Luther King Day too, and, and we're talking about that. That's why we brought Dave in. It was no accident. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and my suggestion for Martin Luther King Day uh-huh. is to do a random act of kindness and tell nobody. Oh, that's wow. good. That's, that's well, there you have that it. That sounds like what my mother used to say with that Catholic, you know, the Irish Catholic stuff. <laughs> She used to say when we were suffering, offered up to God. I never understood that shit. <laughs> and you well, did when you were 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God wants my suffering? You know? yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I guess. It's got to go somewhere. You've heard right? that before, right, Dave? That's oh, some of that Irish shit. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, I went to Catholic school, so I definitely heard that. And we used to say the rosaries in the morning, every morning before we went into uh, for breakfast. But yeah, man, so that neighborhood, so many different cross-sections in there. And now you're mentioning the politicians and the reporters that you've had come in there. Uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., what about uh, celebrities? Who Anybody hangs out up there or, if they're not filming stuff? Um, Oddly enough, being next to a hospital, you never know when people are going to mm-hmm. stop. And uh, uh, Richard Gere was up there uh, one time, and uh, uh, he was very, very nice. He, sat at, he had a baseball cap on, sat at a table. And all our customers realized he was sitting there, but nobody bothered him. They let That's him have great. his uh, thing. And when he was going out the door, I happened to be up the three steps to go into the bar. He had his hat down. He was walking towards the door like a boxer. I'm telling you, a boxer's move. He was up those three steps. He says, thanks for looking out. Shook my hand and went out the That's door. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He knew you were Beefsteak Charlie then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we do kind of make a rule that uh, you don't interfere with anybody who's at the table. Sure. If they get up to go to the men's room or the ladies' room and you happen to cross them and you want to say hello, that's that's fair game. You know, it's funny. We talk about a lot here of, like, this de-stressing. And to me, Coogan's was a great place to go to de-stress. My team in Manhattan North Homicide Squad, I don't want to, like, 
blow smoke up my own ass, but we uh, caught. Well, we were always close to it. Uh, oh, Manhattan, no, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, but we caught. Unfortunately, I guess, right? We caught one of America's most wanted, uh, who was wanted for a rape and an attempted murder. And we, we just. We just wanted to stay on overtime and celebrate, so we went to Coogan's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm retired, so I could say this. I made six hours drinking in Coogan's of overtime. <laughs> Off-site, remote headquarters, is that what it was, right. was called? That's right. The police department wasn't going to reward us, so we had to reward ourselves. You know? Well, we never asked anybody if they were on the clock or off the clock. That wasn't our job. Everybody had a good night, though, there. Everybody's got a good story, a good night there. I remember one time I had a lot of fun there. I wasn't uh, like this guy. I was off the clock. <laughs> but uh, I remember I had a good time. And you mentioned the, the Dominican girls up there. And just girls in general, because you could have nurses and doctors from across the street as well there. Uh, it was a fun night. I think you had a night there where there play, there's a couple of nights where you actually play music. It's almost like a club in there, right? Uh, at one point, we had karaoke three nights a week. We turned Tuesday night into a dynamite night. People came from all over for it uh, for uh, karaoke. I would say this was in the uh, uh, mid '90s. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had karaoke on Tuesday night. We had karaoke on Saturday night. Then we started karaoke on Thursday night. So for wow. a good stretch of maybe ten years maybe longer, we had karaoke three nights a week, and uh, mm. that brought a lot, and it was a bilingual karaoke, so oh, if you were fun. more comfortable oh singing God. in Spanish, you, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> you know, Bill's a singer, right? <laughs> I heard him before, yeah. <laughs> oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> I did that for Dave, man. Yes. How, how'd, you, how'd you ever meet Peter Walsh? What was that story? So, in There's the, no IRA involvement, is there? You had to ask that question. (laughs) In the early, I guess maybe the late 70s, um, uh, people would say, do you know Pete Walsh? I said, know the name, I I don't know Pete. And people would say to Peter, do you know Dave Hunt? I know the name. So Peter owned a place on the east side called Puddings. And I went there with... That that sounds like a gay bar for some reason. On 91st and uh, Lex. (laughs) And uh, I went there one night with a a young lady from uh, Inwood. And uh, she was there because... She wasn't from the Bronx, the girl? (laughs) She was from Manhattan. (laughs) Uh, And uh, she was good friends with Peter's partner's wife. So all of a sudden, uh, Peter is there. And I said, oh... Pete Walsh. I said, are you the guy who, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's how we met the uh, first time. I'd say sometime in the late 70s. And uh, then we struck up a friendship after that. He was also an Inwood guy, you know? No, he's from Yorkville. And, uh, but he would come down to Jimmy Day's in the village. Uh, and Oh, so wait, wait, he was, an, he was a, what do they call that? A uh, gold spoon Irish, Yorkville. Right, Jimmy Cagney was from Yorkville, right? Uh, Jimmy Cagney is one of Peter Walsh's absolute heroes in life. I would uh, figure that yeah. Yorkville, I, I mean, I know that because I know that was like an Irish area of uh, the Upper East Side, right? Yeah, and when you say gold spoon, you mean th- well-bred? Yeah, sort of, or well, they were richer, I, richer Irish. They had money. I, I don't know if the Walsh's had money. I would say there was, uh, especially with Peter, a little uh, uh, street edge to him, a little... Well educated, but a street edge. Right, he was—he's like sort of like a Renaissance man. He's a singer. He is. Right? He's, he's a, a to- writer. He's, he's a, a, he's poet, a, a right? total uh, Renaissance man. He has uh, many, many interests. He succeeds in uh, many, many different fields, um, but he hasn't forgotten that he grew up kind of in a tough neighborhood. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, um, since you have this successful place, and they have these TV shows on TV now, where uh, one of them is the the bar guy. He walks into a bar and he 
sees everything that's going on wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. And then he fixes up the bar the oh, same yeah, way yeah, they yeah, fix yeah, up yeah. the restaurant, yeah. all John these shows Taffer. like that. You must have a, a knife for that too. You ever go out in a place and in, in, in two seconds well, we know, know exactly what's wrong with it? That show's called Bar Rescue with yeah, John yeah, Tapper. Great show, fabulous, everything. But remember, that has nothing to do with anything other than good television. Yeah. So he would never walk into a place and say, oh, everything looks good here, yeah, yeah. right? Because then there'd be no show. So right, he has right, to make right, conflict. Right, sure. He has to yell mm. and scream. He has to have the character who is... Uh, I think they call him in, though, right? I'm sure they do. Uh, but he has to have the character who resists him, and then at the end right, they hug, they kiss. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so it's all about good television, not necessarily about. No, but I'm, my point was, if when you go to a place like with your friends or out with your family one night, and and on the on the nights that you have to yourself, and you go into a place and you can notice right away, like okay, we this isn't they shouldn't do that. And it's this. all about attention to service. It's all mm -hmm. about you know, uh, if. A bartender or a waiter does something wrong and they are on top of it and apologize. Most people mm -hmm. are very, very understanding, uh -huh. you know. But if uh, they're bringing the soup after you're finished your uh, meal. Right, that's not good. That's annoying. Know. I heard that you're a really, really tough buyer, meaning that when they bring in the produce and the meat and stuff, you're like fucking putting the thermometers in it. You're well, yeah, you're supposed to. You're <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> so you fire proprietors all the time. That all the time. Bringing... All the time. you got to live up oh to certain standards. So <laughs> if if I'm buying 300 pounds of chicken, yes. I expect to get that chicken at 38 degrees. Oh, my yeah. God. He's I don't want to get it at 44 it degrees. It takes a tough man to make a tender chicken. <laughs> So, What's you know, the, the, you got to be on top of that. How stuff. about fish, too? Because fish guys are famous for selling bad fish, right? Yes. So yeah. what, you, what do you do with that? You, you sniff every piece of fish? I don't know if I want us to go that far. But we, it's done not by sniffing. It's done by temperature. And you, 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 you inspect the product. You, okay. you take the temperature. So you actually take the temperature of the fish. Sure. Wow. Yeah. You know, now, know that. now they have all these digital thermometers. You just stick it into the middle of the uh, uh, Are you wearing a, a white lab coat when you do this? And, like, the, the light... Above you. <laughs> the chef is wearing the white left. <laughs> How about with the who's the buyer of the alcohol? I am. Oh, you do both. Yeah. So you get X amount of free cases if you buy, right? I don't want free cases. I want good service. Don't tell me you're sending me a case. I haven't had a drink in thirty five years. It's no, like I know, but, don't, but if you buy, say a th let's say a thousand cases of beer, you're, you're gonna get a couple. Yeah, but we had oh, somebody. Absolutely. Didn't we have somebody in the, uh, the last couple of weeks ago talking about the way the mom moves in? They give you a couple of. Um, you know, a case is on the arm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and the next yeah. thing you know, they want to put a joker poker machine in there. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to give you 75% of the cut, and then they come back a little while. You know, they were telling us how the, the trajectory of, like, how the, they, the they move their way in. Move in. Yeah, yeah. they have their customers there drinking everything. They're a little scally. Then they, so how about, does that, did that ever happen to you? Or how long did it take for you guys owning the bar before somebody came in there and tried to... Uh, you know, sell you some cheap liquor or move a choker poker machine in there? Well, I'll tell you, we had a, a, a chef who came to me one time and uh, said, listen, he says, I have this guy who uh, stopped by here. He can uh, come by around 4.30 in the afternoon every day. He says, uh, I can give him the order the day before and we can buy off the truck. Mm -hmm. And I said, now, where do you think that stuff came from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said that came from some restaurant that didn't have a guy weighing everything, poking right, everything. Exactly, I exactly. said so. They delivered to some guy who signs the sheet. Yeah, I, I received three hundred pounds of steak, but it was only two hundred and forty. Right, right? Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day, before he goes home, he comes to the side door and says, "I got sixty pounds of steak. You want to 
So I don't want any part of that's bad karma. It's it's right? totally bad karma. Yeah, and you believe in karma, right? I don't. You're a nice I don't. Irish boy from I don't think any of those people are still doing what they're doing. No, no. It's no. It's just a, it's the beginning of a slippery slope. There, you get involved with that. You're cutting the corner here, cutting the corner there. Before you know it, they got you. You know. I will tell you, I got approached one night um, by two guys who were very, very rough around the edges, and I they were definitely, definitely uh, street guys, and uh, they were inquisitive, and they. Uh, they made an approach, and they said, you know what? Maybe we'd buy you out. <laughs> and I looked at the tuffle of the two guys, and uh -huh. I said, please do. I got 12 months left on my lease. If I got a dollar, I'll be happy. <laughs> that was great. So they didn't know how to handle that, and they left. I had about 20 years left on the lease at that time, but they yeah. left, and that was uh, it. Oh, wow. You should have said, no, I'd buy you out. Your brother was banging <laughs> cocktail waitresses two at a time. <laughs> That's an interesting, that, that was a, a very, very clever comeback. Because they, they, you, they can't even do the math. They're too dumb to even know what well, a freaking lease is. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Jimmy Days was not at, uh, at all involved. When I worked in Jimmy Days in the village, that was not at all involved in the mob, but many of the mobsters um, would hang out. We knew a lot of them. They, as far as I was concerned, over the you know 18 inches of mahogany between me and you, they were very, very nice total gentlemen. Sure, sure. You know, I was in... Um, one off by land, two off by sea one My time. My favorite restaurant. A Christmas dinner with a, another couple. And I think this was around 1987, 88. And I go to leave, and at the premier table in the place is John Gotti. Yes. With his guma. Yes. And there's a couple other wise guys with their guma. I guess, what is, Saturday night is girlfriend night? Is that the, the way it works? According to Goodfellas. Yeah, I, I think know, so. Yeah. Anyway, they were out there, and my friend was like, let's take a picture. I said, no, I'm on a fucking, I'm a cop. No, I think Friday was girlfriend night. Saturday was wife night. It could have been Friday. I'm not yeah, sure. But, Friday's but he was sitting at the table where you, like, you would want to be seen. If people came in, they yes. was, everyone was like, that's God. So the first mm -hmm. time I saw John Gotti in that restaurant, I walked by one night. I think I was still working. Jimmy, Jimmy Days? Days? No, one if by land, two if by sea. Which is just down the yeah, block. In fact, you should take your girl there. It's, She'll love you I love it. the restaurant. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, I walk by, and I take a look through the windows. Just guy, you know, you're curious as to what. And surprisingly, the bar was empty. There was only one man standing at the bar. And I take a look at him, and I said, wow, that is a Good looking. Is he an anchor? Is he a TV anchor? And I'm trying. To, I said, "Oh shit, that's John Gotti." Wow. <laughs> I guess he liked that place. He liked that place, and it was. Uh, uh, he was not part of the mob that ruled Greenwich Village, so it was maybe somewhat of a statement that he would uh, feel comfortable going, going in into there, the. Yeah. That no, it's funny. I went into the Ritz Carlton one night because I knew this bartender named Norman, and I go in there and the bartender, the bar's empty, and he goes, "You just missed it." I said, mm -hmm. "But he goes, Van Morrison was just here for the last hour." I'm like, I love Van Morris. Oh, Any Irish guy loves Van Morris. He's been like, to Coogan's. Are you kidding me? He's been he's to Coogan's. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, he's the best. So uh, <laughs> here's a question for you. Since you got a bar and you got tons of cops coming in there all the time, I'm sure there's a, <clears throat> a couple of cops coming in there looking to get a... <laughs> OTA. Did you ever get, run across a, uh, a guy named Detective Pat? <laughs> Detective Audius. They come in there for a PBR. Has a shield around his neck. He's playing the radio loud and says, where do I get a burger? <laughs> That's a shout out to Detective Pat. He's going to be on here again real soon. Um, what a remarkable story, man. That is having having such a great place up there. Um, where... 
And then I was able to do comedy there one night. Yes, I remember or maybe that twice. very well. You had a very okay. nice opening act. Uh, uh, Thanks, I appreciate Mark, that. Mark, he wants to bring us back. We're in negotiations. I'm sending those two guys with I remember, the, bent, uh, the you, bent noses to negotiate with you. Uh, you asked me about bringing the, the one-man show up there because... Um, at the time, I, I, did, I, you know, I was doing like a stage production of it, which, which required a desk and, and a suit, and it was more theatric, theatrical. And I didn't know how I would do it there. Like, I didn't even have the concept that you don't need all that stuff. You can just do the story without it. But um, that was a fun. That's such a great space up there to do it too. Culturally, there's so many different um, people to pull from too. It's not so. You know, we were talking about it earlier that you know culturally, it's like the UN in there. Yeah. So you get a really good divide, and especially nowadays, too, with... Um, well, isn't that why it became the drug capital of the world? Because it had all the intersections. Right. Yeah, you could come in from Jersey, you could come in from, well, up, you know, up north. Yeah, that's a great place to get your drugs over there. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and back in the day, I was pulled over uh, numerous times, uh, you know, by local, you know, what are you doing in the area tonight, sir? You know, blah, 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 you know. I own they, Coogan's, motherfucker. Well, that's what I, I wouldn't say motherfucker, <laughs> but I'd say I own Coogan's, you know. Uh, uh, and then and then you got a police escort to wherever you wanted to go, right? From that point on? But they they saw a white guy driving a... Um, His 22 PBA clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I got a stack of PBA. O'Reilly's the name. I'll be in there tomorrow night. Do you want the chief of the departments? Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Oh my god! You know Michael O'Keefe, who uh, Dave is good friends with. Yes. Uh, just had a book signing. Yeah, there, yeah, right? he has a book signing. And the night he had the book signing, this was a couple of months ago. All the retired chiefs were there. I don't know what they were doing there, but Gunther, I ran into yes. D Ray yes. Diaz. Yeah, there were guys there. I was like, I didn't even know they were still alive. But yeah. they, another thing, they're coming back to Coogan's because they feel comfortable. They have a group called Romeo, Retired Old Men Eating Out. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. great. Once or twice a year, at least once or twice a year, they uh, have a, a, a dinner at Coogan's because it's a centrally yeah. located place. and uh, That's uh, great. You see them all the time. Yeah, because I thought it was because they parked my car. They gave me they, all, they had all these auxiliary cops. Come on, sir, park your car. I was like, this isn't for Michael O'Keefe, right? And I go in there and I see all those chiefs. I go, that's my. That's well, my it wasn't for uh, uh, the chiefs. It was for Michael O'Keefe. The parking. Yeah, that's amazing, oh, wow. man. So you mentioned. Um, I think I, Peter was involved in that. I don't think any uh, 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 a book signing is going to get free parking. But I think Peter. <laughs> Peter can elaborate uh, the necessity sometimes, you know. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, with the mobsters coming in and you fooling them with the, uh, I got 15 months left on my lease. You're more than welcome to take it over. But the funny thing is, is that after being there, how many years, you were there 30 years? Yes. And then all of a sudden, which a normal lease is 30 years, it comes close to expiring. Who owns the building now? The... Landlord has remained the same all the time. It's New York Presbyterian Hospital. Okay, so uh, the hospital owns the hospital owns the building that you're in, and then uh, so since you were there for such a long time, I'm sure they gave you a great deal. And initially, it was a great deal because they couldn't get anybody to go into the space. Oh, okay. But uh, that was a 21 year lease. I think that uh, went to 20 to 2004. Mm -hmm. And I think sometime in uh, around 2000, we renegotiated it and extended it on to uh, 2018. Okay, so you got 14 more years then from 2004. Correct, correct. And then 2018? That was it. They, were, they, they weren't interested in uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, Did they really want 40K more a month or they just wanted you out? 
it's hard to tell with these people. Yeah. Um, uh, it was an increase of $42,000 a month. Now, that's just not doable. It's just simply no. not doable. And um, I had said to them early on, I said, look, if you are mandated by New York Presbyterian Hospital to the real estate people to get the absolute maximum rent that you can do, I said, I'm not your guy. But right. don't make me go to meetings and negotiations if you're not coming off that, you know? Right. So... Um, what the real estate department uh, did is, well, put together a proposal. So you'd put together a proposal, you'd send it in, you'd wait three weeks, you'd wait six weeks. Yeah, no, that won't work. So you didn't know what they're thinking. They're just trying to pick your brain. Correct, and they'd come back with their same thing. We think, uh, uh, you know, an increase of $42,000 uh, would be uh, appropriate. So I was the... Uh, Peter and T Tess, who has more patients than any of us, she dropped out right away. So there's, said, there's, there's three owners at Coogan's. Yes, Tell us yeah, the names okay. of the owners. So uh, <clears throat> visibly, uh, people see myself and Peter Walsh, right? We're both 70 years of age. We're both Irish Catholic. Uh, uh, we kind of look a little bit alike. Uh, Do you guys go to church together on Sunday or no? Uh, I certainly don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but we also have another partner, Tess McDade, who uh, is a much younger woman who keeps everything in order financially. And, does the uh, books and everything. Does the yeah. books, does, uh, she's, huge does the part, catering. A huge part of the business. Huge right? part of the, uh, uh, the essential part of the business. Uh, actually, Peter and I are the front uh, people, but uh, if, if you wanted to book a special event at Coogan's, Peter and I are going to have a scrambled piece of paper in our back pocket. Tess will have it all computerized, right, laid out. Right. She'll make sure the staff is there. She'll make sure the food is there. You know, She's the one who takes care of all of that. Um, and she had dropped, she had more patients than both, but she dropped out. She says, these guys just aren't being honest with us. And it's a waste of time. Peter stayed in a little longer. He finally dropped out, said, I'm not talking with you. What's your people. feeling at this point, at this stage of it? You've been, you've been the proprietor of this place for, it was 30 years, right? Right. Well, we were making plans to uh, move on. I mean, it, it, it wasn't, uh. Uh, yeah, it's got to be almost like a like a, a relationship that you know, or, or a death almost, because that's your baby. You've seen it grow, and you you know you raised it, and it became a beautiful thing. And it, now I mean, it is. I mean, no doubt about it. It's my life's work. Yeah, you must, you know? your heart so, must have been breaking, right? Well, it's coming to an end, and um, I was the last one. I negotiated. I went to a negotiation, and uh, were you sticking thermometers in the people? Uh, <laughs> Well, you got to get that temperature, right? Eh? If I if I could, I would. <laughs> so um, uh, then in December, uh, I think it was December sixth, we met uh, their real estate offices on the east side on the seventy first street. We met with them, and uh, it wasn't going anyplace. So I went back and I said to Tess and Peter, I said, "Okay, that's it. We're done." Uh, so May uh, May twenty eighteen would be our last uh, uh, day. So our main concern then. Uh, was to get through the holiday season, mm -hmm. right? And then in early January, because we wanted to be fair to our staff, we have about 45 people who work with us. They depend on you. And mm -hmm. um, uh, they bring home uh, paychecks every uh, week that uh, people depend on. So in January, I think it was January 6th or something, uh, we got together, everybody in the back room, and we said, uh, listen, so you'll know, we're going to work right up until May 31st, but then that's it. Mm -hmm. If you feel you have to leave and jump ship, we understand. Mm -hmm. But if you do stay with us, we will make sure that we, you will get another job similar to 
to this, right? I had already made a few phone calls to some people in the restaurant industry. I got to say the New York restaurant industry um, was terrific, mm-hmm. terrific. I'd, I'd call one guy and say, listen, if I come to you with two guys in my hand, can you absolutely, Dave, no problem. Yeah, so listen, who, I was able to. Who doesn't want good help? You know, we do know, have good help. It's almost like Belichick. You know, you, you go, you got a system there. These so, people are, are great workers. They, they have to be. Anyway, the, we knew the New York Times was coming out with a story on us, and uh, it was supposed to come out on Friday. Then we found out they had a, they were going to move it up, and they were coming out on Wednesday. What I didn't know, because I am technologically challenged, is that means that Tuesday, everybody in the world knows about it because it's online. It's already online, yeah. So my son calls me from Washington. He's, he had seen it online, and uh, uh, things started going very, very quickly. And then Wednesday night, Lin-Manuel Miranda tweeted out, we got to save Cubans. Wow, I'm going to cry. The whole, wor- the whole world changed. Who is Manuel Miranda? The creator of Hamilton, and also, oh, okay. I didn't know and that. also the man who wrote the uh, Broadway musical, and now the film that will be coming out called In the Heights. Wow! Yeah. So uh, that was just a, a game changer, right that there. Was, there. That was beautiful, man. Oh my God! That yeah. was a game changer, and Lin Manuel uh, did a then the a local saint. the local politicians all stepped up to the plate. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And. Uh, uh, Congressman uh, Adriano Espayat said, I am meeting with them on a number of issues. I'm going to bring this up and don't say anything or do anything until I get a chance to talk to the uh, people at Presbyterian mm-hmm. Hospital. He called me on Friday, the following Friday morning. He said, I've spoke to them. They understand what the situation is. They understand how vital you are to the community. They told me they would make you an offer that you can accept. Don't say anything until you. You didn't have it. to bring Luca Prazzi there this time. <laughs> maybe, maybe Adriano <laughs> did. I didn't have. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, the meeting was uh, with the uh, CEO of Presbyterian Hospital and uh, with uh, Lynn Manuel's father, who's a, an activist, and uh, Congressman uh, Adriano Espayat. And uh, he called me. I think it was around eleven o'clock in the morning. He said they guaranteed me they'd work it out with you. Don't say anything. Don't do anything, and then let me know what happens. So uh, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the uh, real estate, the head of real estate, who I'm now meeting for the first time, I was dealing with underlings until... Because he, he wasn't going to deal with you correct, at all. Correct. So now he came over and uh, he made a, a presentation. He said, would this work for you? And I said, I think it will. Oh, I thought you were going to go, no, I want a few thousand taken mm-hmm. off. <laughs> uh, so they made us sign a non-disclosure agreement. NDA, yeah. yeah, and uh, I don't have to. I mean, everybody's smart enough to realize they wanted it. Uh, nobody else to know the deal they gave us because they don't want any of their other tenants. Could to you know. just tell us how long it was for? Can't tell you. Can't tell us like anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's but, great. Though. Let, I mean, let me listen. let me put it this way: both Peter and I will be able to retire out of it. And that was uh, sort of the motivation. That's great. It's a beautiful thing, man. You got to give it up to that guy, Lin Manuel, yeah. and and all the people. And also the, the writer from the uh, the uh, the two Tom. best articles from the uh, uh, about the whole thing uh, that came out in the New York Times was uh, written by Jim Dwyer, who also was a Washington Heights resident and a, yeah, a regular yeah. customer of. Uh, that's yeah. that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, that is that turned out to be. Um, I know the neighborhood was panicking a little bit that they're going to lose Coogans. We knew there would be some pushback. Yeah. We had no idea of what kind of pushback there uh, was. Mm-hmm. 
people people from all over were just absolutely upset because it is sort of, uh, as one person said, it says it, it is a restaurant, but it's also a community center. Yeah, you're right. You know? The oasis, right? That's been used so many times. I know that, that term oasis. You know, I mean, we, you, 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 you kind of sort of joked around a little bit, about, but that's what they used to be. Not only were they, uh, you know, especially when you were in Europe too, the, the, the bars, the pubs, it's like a gathering place for politics, for sports. Well, you know early on, when I first went there as a manager, uh, it was without a doubt, without a doubt, the finest, most upscale restaurant north of 155th Street, without mm -hmm. a doubt. Mm -hmm. And uh, that attracts uh, a certain type of person, and it also attracts uh, illegal money. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're all retired now, so I can uh, tell the story. So you can the blow story. the cocaine off the bills when they put mm -hmm. it on the floor? <laughs> well, what happened was we, we had so many people uh, from law enforcement who hung out there, mm -hmm. and they would see these people uh, who were dr drug dealers in the neighborhood, and they would wait until they went to the men's room, and they would go in there to the men's room, and they'd say, listen, fella, I'm in here to relax. If you're in here, I'm working, mm -hmm. so don't come in here. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, because of the fact that we very, very quickly became a center for law enforcement, I think it pushed the drug dealers the drug out. Drug dealers out, yeah, because they can definitely be a problem. You know, they could be cutting deals in your place. We don't want them Next in any way, you know, shape, there's a shootout in your bathroom, yeah. you know. We don't want any, anything no, to do with it in any not. way, shape, or form. You mentioned that it was, a, you know, the very, very little trouble, if rarely ever, but I'm sure that every once in a while you got to, back in the day when you were, you know, when you were in 70, even though you could still probably kick some ass. <laughs> Now, I'm sure there was somebody... He always had some big black who, dudes who were working there as Who'd you bounces, have to slap right? around? Who'd you have to slap around in there? Anybody names? I will, I, will tell you, I will tell you one incident that uh, uh, three real street guys, real street thugs, came in with a very polished guy. Very polished guy. And the thugs were going into the bathroom, into the bathroom, into the bathroom. So I had my eye on them, and then when the polished guy was by himself at the table. I slid into the table and I said, listen, I said, absolutely get your guys out of here. This is not the type of place that you want to get into. And he looked at me and he says, I have to tell you, he says, people don't speak to me like that. He says, but I, he says, I'll, I'll, we'll leave, I'll respect. So I'd see him on the street every once in a while. Uh, over the next couple of years, uh, I learned his name mm -hmm. and uh, I'd say hello. Well, he didn't come back into uh, uh, Coogan's. And then I found out that he went away 25 to life and that he died in prison. Mm. He lived on 172nd Street. So he was in the trade. Oh, definitely. And yeah. these, these guys were advertising that he, that he was in the trade. Right, right, right. You know, these were real so what is the What is Coogan's was named after? It's Coogan's Bluff. Coogan's right? Bluff, yes. I want yeah. to tell the audience what that is? So story, okay. Story is that... Um, uh, also, when Coogan's opened, they were building the Milstein building, and they had to tear down Maxwell Hall, which was the nurse's residence for New York Presbyterian Hospital. And uh, uh, I remember that. I offered to take some of them in. <laughs> <laughs> Sean had suggested that uh, uh, the restaurant be called Maxwell Hall. And uh, Sean Cannon, who was the founder of Coogan's. I feel like I'm in historically you, you, involved in this you place somewhere. Down the geno <laughs> genealogical right. uh, path. So... Uh, the, then he got a, a letter from their alumni association saying they didn't really 
feel comfortable about it. So sort of as a last-minute thing, he changed and named it after Coogan. It's a great name. I thought it was that Clint Eastwood movie. Coog- it was another, like a Coogan's. Well, Coogan's right? Bluff is, is right over there on Edgecombe Avenue where you used to be able to look down into the old polo grounds, and if you stood on the bluff, the hill, and looked down, you'd watch the game for free. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's nostalgia right there. All right, so listen, we are at the end of the first hour here. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back for another hour uh, with our phenomenal guest, man. This has been so much fun, man. Well, you know, it's a fascinating piece it's a good of break. history, right? Yeah, it's it a really good break. Is. You know, we've had, a, like I said, we've had a ton of law enforcement here, but now we get to hear from the other side, and we're going to hear about some jerk-off cops that come in there. <laughs> and come in there and want shit. everything for free. Yeah, on the, on the no second. No scholarships. <laughs> All right, we'll be back for part two with Dave Hunt. What's in, uh, 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 what's